I know you're into rocks. Are you into rocks? I've been collecting rocks since I was a little kid. I like crystals. Um... Of course kids are drawn to rocks because it's there's so many ways that they can have that sensory input with them. Picking up shiny rocks and showing them off and putting them in a bag never to be seen again. That's basically my experience with rocks. You know, who doesn't like crystals and agates and anything shiny? It, you know, it's like rockosophy, but in a podcast. It's rockcast podosophy. Let's do it. Okay, this is Rock Rat coming to you from my bedroom here in Spokane. And I am sitting down with one of actually my oldest friend. Mel, you're my oldest friend. I just want you to know that. Uh, guys, just to my listeners, I love all two of you very deeply, and um, this is probably going to be one of my favorite interviews so far. Um, meet Mel. Mel, please introduce yourself. Hello, um, I'm Mel. I have a bachelor's and master's in criminology and uh, criminal justice, which means that I'm very uh, used to talking about societal issues in regards to race and gender uh, all on the spectrum, and um, I have been very invested in the arts as far as I've played the ukulele a bit, just a little fucking in a tune here, um, and I also uh, really enjoy um, digital art and all that good stuff, but uh, yeah, I feel like I have a very uh, left-brained mind, so, or is it right-brained? I don't remember. Left brain is logical in mathematics, I think. Yeah, <laughs> right brain then, it's opposite my hand. <laughs> well, that makes sense because anyway. the left side controls the right side and the right side controls the left side. That's right, because I'm in my right mind and everyone else isn't. That's right. Oh! Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> With a capital W. Okay, great. So this would be an episode of Rockcast Podosophy, and you do not identify as a rock hound, but of course the blog is about four things, rocks, philosophy, nature hobbies, and human connectivity or societal issues. So I'm just going to sort of break in here and ask, do you have any experience or any inclination towards the rock hounding community? We'll just use that as a segue. So the, really my true only experience was when I was a little kid and I'd be walking across gravel at my grandma's house and She'd yell at me to put shoes on, and I said, no, I can take it. It's so hot across hot coals. You just have to do it. Um, but picking up shiny rocks and showing them off and putting them in a bag never to be seen again, that's basically my experience with rocks. And also watching all of my friends, including you, Rock Rat, including you, um, just go bananas over rocks. And I just sit there and be like, dang, those are some real shiny, colorful pieces that you have that I absolutely nothing about uh, is this one salt that's that's all I got can you eat it <laughs> but that's about the extent of it <laughs> oh and like Steven Universe that Cartoon Network show that's about it for my precious gems so but that's it you Not know much. You know, I get told a lot that I should watch Steven Universe for a lot of reasons, and I, I never have because I'm very disconnected from our generation in a lot of ways. Also, I don't find TV, like, you you laugh at me, girl, but you know. Um, it's just... 
it's just not very stimulating because it's just audio and visual. But anyway, anyway, I have been told to watch Steven Universe. And like when people find out that I'm a rock hound too, they're like, oh my God, you on so many levels. So like, do you want to talk about that show or like what it is about that show that is related to rocks or whatever? Yeah, so a bunch of the characters are named after um, after precious gemstones, and it's it's really interesting that they gave literally all of these rocks um, anthropomorphic shapes, um, and you you basically go through the show being like, this was a gem, what would it look like, and what would it act like, and a lot of the time it identifies with energies that people associate with gemstones and all that good stuff. Um, but I truly think that um, it's just a guise to not make up names. Um, but it's, it's a really interesting show about growth and acceptance of yourself. And also it invokes a lot of tropes in that the main cast is mostly women and there's one man and he's a 13 year old child. So it's really neat. It's really interesting. And it's all about personal growth. And um, so, yeah, like the first three characters that you meet are Pearl, Amethyst, and Garnet. So, and they also have like Sapphire, Ruby, Rose Quartz. Um, yeah, they go through, and there's also a cast system within the Precious Gems, which is really interesting. Like, and it's, and it definitely feels like a cast system that would um, develop in regards to like humans deem as a precious gem versus um, like kill what should, I don't know. Like, would you consider like diamonds like highest tier of, of gemstone? Personally, no. Rock. I think, yeah, I think diamonds are super boring because <laughs> the one they're not as, well, well, they're not, okay, yeah, I know, just to be an elitist over her. Um, <laughs> they're not as rare as people think. There's a huge blood trade, obviously, that's pretty popular knowledge. Um, and they're really boring to look at. Like, you could cut, it's hard to cut quartz, and they're the hardest substance out there. That's true. They're very beautiful. They have all these colors because, you know, they're very prismatic. Lots of things are prismatic, though. And they're they're clear. They're not even white. They're they're clear. I have diamonds. My birthstone because I was born on April Fools. Uh, woo, shout out to my three other relatives that are born on that day because we're just a fool family, I guess. Uh, no, the perfect never change. <laughs> I, can't, oh I need to keep it together for this interview. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love you and miss you so much. Okay. Um, I think diamonds are boring and. You know, they come in a lot of colors, a lot of shapes, but like you go online and people are selling them by like the bucketfuls because they're slightly imperfect or some crap. And it's just, I don't know. Are they, is Diamond like the end all and be all of Steven Universe or something? So in the cast system, they are basically God tier. So. What? Yeah, which is why I really feel like it's definitely the value that uh, they utilize the value scale that humans put on precious gemstones and, and not really like the interest or like the strength of the certain rock itself. So it's, it, it's an interesting show. Um, but, but yeah, like basically like the, the whole gist of the show is that you know, there's no point in the caste system where all individual rocks are cells and, um, 
yeah, no, nobody's better than anyone else. It's pretty dope. Yeah, I've also been told that there is, and you might, you actually have more insight into the social everything society. You have explained when society comes comes coming down, I'm going to claw my way back to you, babe. Okay, and we're going to survive the apocalypse together. Oh, God, I'll do the cultural part and you do the surviving of everything else. That would be great. Yeah, we'll just, yeah, we'll just eat lots and lots of chicken of the forest because I know that that fungus is not poisonous. Um. Yeah, <laughs> your face, your face. Um, by the way, I, I maybe I should add like an ad for this and this podcast. But like, first of all, that we're using WhatsApp right now, um, which is a free communication like app. And like, I just just like a side note. Do you think that this uh, video service is super effective? Because this is the most stable video connection that I have ever used. Yeah, I, I mean, we've been we lived very we've been long distance friends for a long time now, Jesus. Uh, and out of all lost your video. Uh, oh crap. Um, no, I'm trying to i I'm trying to do a thing. I'm listening. <laughs> and honestly it seems like this would be easiest to utilize and also just it has like the nicest connection. The audio's pretty crisp. Like I dig it. I can dig it like better than Google Plus, better than Skype. Yes. Yeah. yeah, okay, so I tried to do it. So. That's amazing. Yeah, and it also works with different kinds of phones. I was trying to see if there were ways to like um, put on like filters or things, like other weird things, but there's there's not, and that's fine. But anyway, yeah. So I really am digging our connection. I mean, in general. Um, so Steven Universe. Oh, oh, I remember. I remember what I was gonna say. Um, the hierarchy and queer culture, and you have always been more involved in those kinds of societal commentaries and issues, but a lot of times people are like, oh my god, watch Steven Universe because it's also super queer friendly, and I'm like, I'm not really sure how to take that because we haven't had that conversation yet, but also maybe you could tell me about that element of the show. Um, so it is super queer friendly in that while, um, like, the diamonds basically don't reproduce. They kind of form in the rock, as, like, in, in the earth, as rocks do. Um, from, from, from my understanding of rocks, that's very minimal. Uh, but, um, like, it is very queer-friendly. I don't really want to give you too many spoilers, but, oh, okay. um, so, one, one, also, one of the biggest things of the show is that di- uh, not diamonds, the gems can actually fuse into other stones. So, like, Garnet is comprised of two gems. So, and that's really cool. And both of the gems that make her up, they're they're both female presenting. So, one's butch, one's femme. Super cute. But, um, yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, I would say it's, it's pretty queer-friendly. Um... But it's also, don't forget, it also needs to air on Cartoon Network, so it, they do play it safe in regards to a lot of things, because they don't want, they didn't want to get taken off the air. But yeah, Rebecca Sugar did what she could to, to sneak in the gays everywhere, <laughs> so. That's adorable. I listened to an interview with Rebecca Sugar on a podcast called Query, um, which is, anyway, um, she sounds super dope, and I it made me want to watch the show too. But we didn't; they didn't talk about it very much. 
Um, okay, so as far as your understanding of rock counting, last episode I was talking with Megan Schindler and she mentioned how accessible it is to the population. And I thought that was interesting. We didn't actually talk about this um, part specifically, but I think it's interesting because I I see a monochromatic uh, demographic when I do rock counting. It's actually, it's more gender equal than um, a lot of nature hobbies are. There are a lot of females that do it, but it's very white. And, you know, we also talked about skiing and how you have to be able to afford the lift tickets and, you know, white privilege and a lot of things like that. And so um, as far as nature hobbies go, not even just rock counting, but nature hobbies in general, I know we both grew up in St. Louis. We're both, you know, urbanites, suburbanites, technically. Um, how do you think accessibility works into nature hobbies and human connectivity? So I, I have a few opinions about that as far as the accessibility of, of this, of rock hounding, as far as um, when I say that when I was a kid and I got to actually do, like, look, go play in the gravel or whatever, that was at my grandma's house, and that was my white grandma's house. I'm mixed race, by the way. My mom is black and my dad is white. So when we went to visit my father's mom, uh, that was out in, in BFE, Missouri, out in Dixon, Missouri, which you've never heard of, I'm sure. It's like an hour outside of Springfield. Yeah. Just no signal, dial-up only. They could only have one phone line for the family because there was just no service, dish only. Like that's how remote my grandma's house was, and that was the that was the only way I was able to um, have access to nature and and really get invested in in stuff outside the city. Otherwise, I grew up. Uh, downtown St. Louis on Arsenal Street of all places and so yeah it was just it was a concrete jungle as they say like there wasn't too too much besides like going to a man-made park there wasn't too much out there so and I think it also has to deal with the fact that when you think of um, jobs and interests and really being fueled by your passion um you're allowed to fail if your family has money. Um, so you can pursue hobbies and you can um, pursue your interests that may not generate that much income because you know that you have a safety net. Whereas, like, like for instance, like unrelated to rock hounding, but as far as like, I had to scrimp and save to like partially pay for a jalopy car that was maybe a thousand dollars. When I had friends who would post on Facebook just being like, oh, Nana gave me her old car. She thought it had too many buttons. And I'm just like, oh my God, what I would do for that kind of experience in life. <laughs> so like, that's kind of what, what, like, what I what I believe a lot of minorities um, end up having to deal with is not only is there white privilege in the skin that you wear, it's a foundational privilege that your family had that privilege as well and was able to grow on that so you can be successful and flourish in whatever you set your mind to versus black kids and, and people of color, we gotta do what we know to make money because we don't get to fail. We have to be successful the first time around. We don't get second chances. So, and I think that that means that we don't pursue creative hobbies like rock counting or anything like that, like music or arts. It's it's 
those are passions that a lot of people develop later in life. I would say a lot of people of color develop later in life just because, you know, like, like my mom was just like, you need to get a degree in STEM, otherwise it's not going to be worth your time. Just like, okay, guess I'm going to major in biology, even though I don't really care about it. <laughs> so. so, yeah, I think that that's a really important point. But, yeah, it's pretty... It's pretty uh, white, as you will, and I'm sure in your in, in your rock hunting experience. So, and also there's the matter, yeah, like I said, of transportation. Like, it, when you're in such a such a community where, like, you know, you may not be able to afford a car or the upkeep on a car, or you know, public transportation is like your main thoroughfare. Like, how are you going to be able to go out and be in nature? How are you going to be able to go out and afford these hobbies that you're doing? Like, no, you're, you're going to stay inside where it's safe and you're going to study. You're going to do what you can in order to be successful in the way that you know how. So, Yeah, that's super interesting and well-informed. You are, as ever, articulate, uh, you silver-tongued devil. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I... I have not finished uh, the new Jim Crow, but they do talk about it, about transportation a lot. And we don't have to talk about it. We don't have to talk about it because I can't. It's so hard to read. Oh, my God. I know I have it. I know I literally have it right here. Wait, can you see it? Can you see my stack of books here? Oh, my God. Right next to inequality in America. That's ge geographic information systems. ARC is actually the ESRI's main. Yeah, uh, we took a class in ArcGIS for time mapping and stuff. Yes! Oh my god! Yeah, every time I talk about it, my mom's just like, my mom, by the way, everyone who's listening is Cassandra Kaufman. She's a badass. Right? Yeah. Um, but every time I talk about GIS.
in relation to white flight, where people were leaving the city due to the migration patterns of blacks after the after slavery ended. They were just like, we can't, we can't be around this. We gotta go to freaking St. Charles with our trucks. God, West Federal County. Flag. Uh. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. But yeah, the unincorporated counties of St. Louis, yeah, they're trying to make St. Louis whole again. It was really cute. They were running Valentine's Day stuff. They were just like, oh, do you want to get back together? St. Louis to St. Louis. <laughs> and how's that? When is it? When do they vote on it? I don't know. I need to do some more research on it. I, it seems like it's still in the very early stages in that it's 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 created a lot of opposition, obviously, because the white people in unincorporated St. Louis do not want to be attached to the city of St. Louis. But, but yeah, we'll see. I'll, I'll have to do some research on that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember being in high school, junior year, and somebody that I knew from band, somebody who was actually in the trumpet section, we had a debate that didn't, it wasn't, I don't know if it was supposed to be a debate, but it turned into a debate about putting the metro or driving the metro into South <sighs> County. And then I came up, I came across those same ideas in the new Jim Crow. And I come across it all the time, like these pervasive, like, God, we can't be connected to that inner city, like, deviance. And I was just, yeah. Bridges in major cities were designed by the same guy, and he deliberately made them short to where public transit buses would not be able to fit under them. So that way, black people could not actually get to other areas outside of the city. That was a deliberate and racist move. It was really, it was mind-blowing when I first read that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yep. So so since we're going to just, like, blow some stuff out of the water, um, one of my friends who I'm just going to, like, avoid specifics here just in case this is, like, super secret knowledge, one of my friends was associated with SLU, which for those of you who don't know is uh, St. Louis University. And they um, they do a lot of good work. They're also very, they, they do a lot of good work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do a lot of good work. Especially in St. Louis where it tends to be a little incestuous. Like there are a few families that, you know, maintain the money in St. Louis. Anyway. Um, segregated cities in the nation it's like top i think it's top three of segregated cities oh my god oh my god okay so hold still yeah <laughs> yeah yeah see <laughs> and i'm yeah. you go street by street and it's a completely different demographic so yeah like down the state streets Casaloma. next time i'm going into town i'm bringing megan we're gonna go to Casaloma. um so this individual was studying horticulture and don't give me that look you <laughs> Um, this individual was studying horticulture and they encountered a study where someone was pulling like tree species demographics and when they were planted, you know, they were tracking, they were mapping the spread, like the species breakdown of the city, which is a very understandable like urban ecology study. And it turns out that he, um, not the person I'm talking about, the person who was researching it, discovered that the city of St. Louis specifically requested that trees that did not last as long were less hardy and provided less shade and like canopy cover were planted above a certain number of street. So not only were they red, what are they called? Red, red brick districts, red block districts, or like on a map where they like segment out. Yeah. 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 Y
red line districts. Red line districts, which would you do you want to give a definition for that? Yeah, redlining is the term for bank um, for banks, and it's actually people that are in redline districts. Banks will not loan them money, which means that these people cannot move out of their impoverished neighborhoods. They cannot. They literally cannot better themselves. Redlining still exists today, but um, yeah, it's really messed up. Like also like. With the housing market, one of the things that they do tend to show different streets and different homes to people of different colors. So the only reason my family was able to go back to South County was because my dad did most of the house house shopping. My white dad did. So otherwise, had it just been my mom or my my dad trying to do this house shopping, they probably probably wouldn't have moved to South County, which is pretty far south away from the cities so yeah it's like a solid 15 minutes i mean if you hop in the river but anyway right like like that's just what we do but um but my so the toxic waste oh my god the runoff from the quarry uh anyway so um it was discovered that st louis city had requested when they were planting these trees that i mean it wasn't even a monetary issue they specifically requested these lower quality trees that were not as beneficial for the neighborhood and for the humans be planted in the minority neighborhoods. And when this came out, um, the researcher was got, trying to get their study published because, I mean, from an ecology standpoint, they had a map of like, look at the actual trees, like this is urban ecology. And from the other standpoint, they were like, BT dubs, y'all. Um, this is super racist and super not great. And like, we need to be including all the humans in the environment where they live. In St. Louis uh, University, like the city council, not the city council, but some political power within the city contacted SLU and was like, shut it down. And his study was refused to be published. They were like, we will pull all of your funding. We will ruin you so fast if you publish this study. And so what he did was like go around all the other like people that were researching and just be like, guys, look at this. And that's how I found out about it. So tell your friends, racist dreams. Yeah, that's really terrifying and absolutely something that I would expect from <sighs> white people. So, right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is a beautiful segue for me to uh, let's just take a break here for a second, regroup. We'll be back after a brief um, ad from our sponsoring host site. <laughs> you. Okay, we're back and we are still discussing societal philosophy and with our expert criminologist here mel and um so we in the during the break i'm going to lead us off with what our discussion was during the break i have an understanding that one of the barriers to outdoor exploration which personally was very important to my field and i actually have a lot of conversations with my coworkers about the privilege involved in being a wildlife biologist because if you don't have a family that can like catch you in the off season, you literally can't do it. You will get worked out of the field so quickly. You don't make your head spin. And I mean, seriously, though, it's, it's a difficult job, um, which is actually one of the reasons why I started this blog, but people being afraid to leave their houses. So like I was trumping around South County um, on my bike until 9 PM. I was catching fireflies. I was playing in that childhood Creek and I didn't have any worry about walking home. And I know that's not the case for everyone. So like from a criminological standpoint, do you have uh, an opinion on this accessibility of nature hobbies? Right. 
so as far as like accessibility to nature hobbies, it's one of those things where um, if people are too afraid to leave their house for safety reasons, but also um, for, for legal reasons. When you think about um, inner city housing, like they may not have air conditioning. They, they may not have um, things to do in their house or tools to help them enjoy outside activities. Like, you know, with sports, it takes equipment. Um, but like, so there's... Um, there's this idea of being too afraid as far as um, getting mugged or um, for, for, for my knowledge, it's also just about avoiding getting into uh, legal trouble as far as um, being stopped by police officers for no reason, getting stopped and frisked, possibly shot for no reason. Um, for, for kids, it's, it's about safety and about avoiding situations in which they could be pinned as an undesirable in the community. And it's, it's, it's a lot more intricate and a lot more institutionalized than, than really people get credit for in that, like, when you think about drug laws, like, who's making these laws? Well, it's politicians. And what's the majority of politicians? They're white men. So white men making these laws, they may not be in the city. Um, so, like, say a drug law where it's just, like, you're not supposed to have drugs within 100 feet of a school or around a school, or maybe let's, uh, let's even stretch that out to 500 feet. Now, in an area where the population density isn't as, as tight, um, that might be easier to do. They might be able to retreat to their homes in order to um, do um, activities of, of an illegal nature, um, whereas people in the inner city, like, if, if you are within that radius, like, you're fair game for these very strict legal penalties, even if you're not what you believe to be close to a school. And you may end up having, you may be getting more harassed by police officers just because of the density of officers that are in the city versus the county. So it's, it's very interesting how, yeah, like, there's a lot of institutional barriers for, for, for people of color and uh, for people of color and particularly black people um, to actually go outside and just enjoy being alive. Like, there's literally this phrase, uh, driving while black. Now, in the county, in South County, where I live with my mom, my mom is putting up yard sale flyers. And this is this is how ridiculous this is. Oh, I was pulled over on the side of the road. I was at I was at week sixteen at the time, so I was for the drive, I had my license and everything. And, you know, do I look like a hoodlum? No. I was wearing an Oakville sweatshirt, jeans, <laughs> whatever. I know that sweatshirt. <laughs> And I was just like, 
why? And she's just like, this is unsafe. You can't be here. And I was just like, I've pulled up far enough to where I'm not like in, in the middle of the intersection. She's like, no, you have to keep moving. You can't, you can't just sit here in your car. And I was just like, I can't go anywhere. My mom is literally right around the corner. She's like, that's too bad. You need to move your vehicle. So then my mom seeing it like, Remember, this has happened within the span of, like, the time it would take you to put up a yard sale sign, <laughs> like, not that long. She comes, she, see, she sees this police officer, like, harassing me in the car, and she comes running, and she's like, we're leaving, we're leaving, it's okay. Mind you, this is on Black Forest. Like, oh I, was, I was home, like, and I was getting harassed by officers at, in my hometown, on my home street. So, yeah, like, when, when we talk about how racism is, 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 like, has institutional barriers, you'd be surprised about the microaggressions and, like, the overt aggressions that, that just really are put in place to keep minorities in place, quote-unquote. So. Oh, my God, yeah. I remember um, one year when I came back, was it from college or grad school? I think it was grad school I was visiting for, like, Christmas and I met you and some friends at the Pink Galleon down in Hampton, near Hampton. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere, yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah, it would have been the one off Olive Boulevard. And, um, we're both like, everyone is, you know, like checking in before we head home. And we're like, okay, is everybody good to drive? Yes. Okay. We're all leaving. And I get a text from you like five minutes after I'm home. And you're just like, there was a cop that followed me from the, from the parking lot all the way home. And we, both lived in South County at that time. No way you lived it. It doesn't matter. Like they followed you the entire way home. And I sat there and I got, I just, I mean, yeah, no, that's, I can't even imagine. And especially, I believe that was the time around Sandra Bland, like just literally getting pulled over and like shot in her car, like by Texas police officers. If I had my story straight, which I might not, but like, yeah, like that was around the time where black people were disappearing out of their vehicles during routine traffic stops and nothing was being done about it. And it's just like, cool, I literally can't do anything. I'm afraid to leave my apartment and my house. Awesome. Like, I guess I'll study. That's great. <laughs> yeah, and video games Overwatch, you have given me so many ways to connect to my friend's 13 year old son. Like, thank you for that. <laughs> I feel like I've seen a bumper sticker for Fortnite or something. I said that like Fortnite. That's not. It's Fortnite. It's definitely Fortnite. <laughs> but yeah, next time, next time, um, or we'll get out. We'll get you out here, and uh, you can show me the the video game things that are happening in the world. <laughs> you, you are my north star, Mel. I don't know. Where I'm even now, you'd be so lost. <laughs> okay, I'm um, sorry, listeners. We're gonna redirect here. Um, accessibility. So, nature hobbies, social philosophy. A lot of what I talk about in my posts. So usually, even when I go exploring, right? Because um, we have about ten minutes left. I even when I go exploring. I try to wrap it up with some kind of like humanistic, like this affects me and it because it affects me or because it affects you, it affects me. Like this affects everyone. Like the permeations of this hobby, you know, they affect everyone. And last episode um, we were talking about people in print on rocks very young because of a childhood development stage. So 
there's got to be a hobby out there that's not, you know, it doesn't even have to be nature related, but like, is there something that you do? And I think I have a few ideas growing up together. I think I have a few ideas of what that is that you just, it's your, that that's your rock hounding. You want to tell me about that? Um, so yeah, so first of all, so before we get into that, as far as hobbies and interests and stuff, one point I think is very valid to make is um, the exclusionism, the exclusionariness of, of, of um, whiteness versus blackness and how the law truly uh, really has shaped African Americans and people of color in that, um, so if we, if, if people of color find that they can't find success via the quote-unquote normal methods of success, um, going to school, getting an education, um, or, you know, having a hobby that leads into a career. So then they go to the, the, through the way that um, it's kind of the underbelly of that as far as instead of following because there's these roadblocks as we've talked about there are these roadblocks blocks put in place to where it's literally like you have to stay like in this caste system in this terrible place that we put you in you cannot excel you cannot go do not pass go do not collect two hundred dollars so it's one of those things where there's because there's a counterculture which is the like the like um like the, the ideal um, black man with um, this aggression, this hyper-toxic masculinity, this affinity for, for, um, for just the material as far as clothes, cars, phones, all this stuff, because people of color have not been authorized by whites historically to find success um, through self, through the individual. So it's feeding, it's creating this negative feedback loop and a counterculture to white acceptability. And I think that that is one of those things where um, opening doors for minorities in, and like creating pathways for um, minority kids to enjoy um, hobbies like going to a summer camp and being able to um, take a college prep course that will that will actually tell them like oh hey these are all the unspoken rules to an interview that you've never been told but that every white kid knows because they grew up with business professional parents like it's it's about opening those doors and i think once once those institutional barriers have been stripped away even a little bit, I think they'll probably see more black people pop up in, in hobbies such as rock hounding. Um, but yeah, what was your original question again? No, I was just I was just fishing for conversational fodder. That's fascinating. I if you were to start somewhere, like somebody gives you the power to institute a program right? Like, let's just write an imaginary check here. You are exactly who you are. They give you a job. They say, Mel, you've got the credentials. We're going to start this program. We want to get minorities of whatever age range into, um, you know, either societally effective programs or nature programs. I don't know which either of those you would prefer to discuss, but what would that look like? I think that it would be truly just investing more money in schools in general as far as like giving them recently textbooks 
that at school supplies, making sure that these kids can actually eat three squares a day. Like a lot of the a lot of what I've heard about public schools right now is we're moving like free lunch and that sometimes is the only food that these kids can eat is the free lunch provided by the school and the government. And so to strip away something as basic as food, think about it. Sitting in class, you're hungry for eight hours a day, if not more, and then you have to go home and be hungry. Like it's still there's basic thing as far as fully funding a school that 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 would go far and also just being able to like um, let kids take trips away as far as letting them go do fun stuff that may not necessarily be educational but recreational. So that way they can say, oh, there's more to life than this, whatever this happens to be. So, and it's about expanding those horizons. So that's, and like, it's a blanket statement, but I think of like, it's a pretty thick blanket that would be very helpful to a lot of schools. Yeah, that's, so. that's like a, that's a, it's a weighted blanket, you know, that calms anxiety about all of the injustice that America has put on. Um, yeah, so like the Riverview School District, which is an inner city school, which was actually stripped of its accreditation because of the principal's embezzling money from the school. Oh, um, that's the school that my dad worked at, by the way. Um, so <sighs> my dad, so what they ended up doing when they stripped the accreditation of the schools was they fired all of the teachers. They only rehired teachers that had maybe one or two years of experience so that way they wouldn't have to pay them as much. And they also hired most of the females and I'm, I truly believe that is so that way they could underpay them even more. So now you have a barely qualified staff running an inner city school where the kids have like hyper femininity, hyper masculinity and like it's it's it was it was a recipe for disaster as far as I'm concerned in that the like schools need money in order to be a school. You need to have supplies. And so that's why I'm just like, yeah, like just give the schools money so they can do things that schools do. House kids during the day. So Yeah. Um and like have the most recent textbooks. That's a really good one. That's very important. And it's also something that's very easily overlooked because, you know, supervisors will come in and say, well, you already have science textbooks or you already have blank textbooks. And it's like, right, but like they're, they're textbooks. They go out of date every five years minimum, you know? Yeah. If your textbook has it labeled as the war between states, get a better textbook. Oh, geez. What is this? Like a, a Georgia Rhodes sign? Oh, man. No, there like, were still some textbooks when we were in high school that like would equally refer to the Civil War as the war between states. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 to say the least. So. Well, that's on. That's actually, yeah, um, a very good stopping point. Do you have any closing ideas, closing statements to take us out. Um, we're definitely going to have to have another conversation. I will have to come up with um, better questions, I feel like, to target your specific no, knowledge. Great. I loved it. But, um, I think any final thoughts that I would have is 
don't be afraid to stand up for what is right, even if you see a situation where you know something is happening, um, in that, like, if your friends are being a little bit racist, call them on it, don't laugh at the joke, um, and also just, like, constantly review what you believe to be your own biases and ask others what they believe your biases to be. They'll let you know if they're truly your friends. And that's, I feel like that's the only way we can grow is when we challenge each other to be better. (laughs) Oh my God, no. Like, I'm so, I had such an emotional, visceral response to that. That was beautiful. Um, Yes, absolutely. We will talk again. And, uh, yeah, okay. Well, that has been this has been an episode of Rockcast Podosophy. Mel, you're beautiful and um thank you very much for being on my show. It's been swell. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I it's been it's been great. <laughs> thank you.